If you're working with a SaaS company or a digital marketing agency that targets small businesses, especially local businesses, you might find that you need a different approach than you would marketing to or working with other industries. Local businesses have different problems and different goals than say a MarTech company or an e-commerce site. So on this episode of Content Marketing is Dead, I spoke to two content marketing specialists who work with SaaS platforms that target home service companies and private healthcare practices about their content strategies. Andrew Cecilia, it's been a couple years since we've all been on the screen together. <laughs> it's so good to see your faces at the same time. So nice seeing you guys today. Yeah, likewise. So um, before before I do introductions really fast, we all work together. Um, I was a freelancer working for the two of you when you work for House Call Pro, which is a SaaS platform that helps out home service companies. And um, Andrew, why don't you start? Because you've left House Call Pro, but you've stayed in that that niche. Sure. Yeah. So I um, <clears throat> I went over to uh, Service Titan, which is a another SaaS for contractors, um, about a year and a half ago, um, in a in a similar role. So I'm the senior manager for content marketing uh, over on their demand generation team, um, and it's a uh, it's been a really uh, fun and, and challenging transition all at the same time. Um, but yeah, totally leveraging my expertise and uh, industry knowledge from day one over there, which has been uh, been an advantage for me. That's great. Cecilia, introduce yourself where you're at now. Yeah. Um, EJ, Andrew, so nice joining you guys today. I'm Cecilia. I've been working in the content marketing space for most of my career. Andrew and I used to work together at House Call Pro a few years back. Um, and it was such a memorable experience. This was all before the pandemic. So we had the luxury to work in person and test a lot of content projects together. But with that, I eventually moved on to working with the healthcare industry. Uh, I work at a patient experience platform company called Next Health, which can be somewhat similar in some ways that practice owners are also busy. They're not necessarily tech savvy and they trust people like them. So it's really fun to see how similar and different these audiences are as we're creating content for them. Yeah. So tell people, both of you, like who, who is your target customer that you're creating content for? Sure. For, for service Titan. And this is one of the unique challenges, um, and, and fun things about working in the home services spaces for service Titan, it's contractors and tradespeople um, that run <clears throat> like million dollar plus uh, residential and commercial businesses for plumbing, electrical, HVAC, garage door. There's probably a dozen, dozen and a half industries we target. And within those verticals, there's different company sizes and different parts of our product that accommodate, um, you know, residential, commercial, enterprise, franchise. And so if you actually look at the matrix breakdown of who we sell to and have to create content for and think about how we create content for it's, it's just like a mathematical nightmare because it's so many combinations of so many different industries. Um, but that's one of the fun challenges about it. So think of the, plumber that 
comes to your house and fixes your sink. Uh, could just be a solo entrepreneur, but in most cases, if you found that person on Google or through an ad, uh, they are a multi-million dollar uh, small business owner. And, and that's that's who we're, we uh, work with. Cecilia, what about you? Yeah. Um, so at NextHealth, we focus on dental practices and other practice industries. The medical space is somewhat stuck in the 80s when it comes to technology. So a lot of these practices still use, I don't know if you go to the dentist, you see they have this really old looking monitor on the side. Those are their health record system and they've been around since forever. So our goal, what we do differently is through online booking, having, um, empowering these practices to offer digital forms, all of that information sinks back to their health record system, which avoids them from, you know, taking in a patient form and manually typing it into their system again. So that's what makes um, Next Health unique, I would say. And it's really interesting with these practices, the younger generation, obviously, they're more prone to technology. They're probably a little bit more tech savvy, wants to hear about the new to, newest technology. But when you get to the more experienced doctors, they are comfortable at where they're at. Everything comes in through word of mouth. So they're a little bit more comfortable and more difficult to convert. So it's really our audience is the doctors and obviously office managers. They're going to be the ones using our tool every day, but in the end is the doctors that are making the decision. So part of what I wanted to talk to you both about together is that you're both working for SaaS platforms that target local businesses. And I think that that's a really unique, um, content positioning as opposed to other types of B2B where it's, you know, things like MarTech, FinTech or whatever, where it's um, content for companies. It, I guess it's really the difference between B2B2B versus B2B2C. So um, I wondered if you just had thoughts in general about like what it's like to create content for local businesses as opposed to other forms of um B2B marketing. Let's just start broad. Yeah, I would say this is something I probably haven't focused on as much as I'd like to at Service Titan because it is a, it is a great mindset in terms of how we like how we target our who who we think about our audience is. But at the same time, if like they search for solutions to software, you know, in a similar way than, you know, some of these MarTech professionals or, or, you know, a CTO or CMO at a, at a digital, you know, <clears throat> platform would search similar than a, an office owner at a, at a, you know, a five or $10 million a year, um, each back business. That's the perception I have, but I could be completely wrong about that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is a really great great question to pose. I'm actually um, thinking about the same thing, Andrew. I'm curious to see, you know, like that single location practice or business versus the multi-location is kind of how I think of the difference. Would you say so? Yeah. Yeah. We think we really take into account company size and how they might find us and how we market to them, um, like enterprise versus mid-market. Um, but I think the, the largest Thing for us that we they are local businesses, but we, we really look at their how they like to interact with their vendors and customers, and we try to fit in that way. And so, mm -hmm. 
for for example, you know, a plumbing business owner, he could have $5 million in revenue and be in the business for 20 years and be really well off financially and really established. He'll still call himself a plumber. And so we would never, uh, we try our hardest not to address him as like a contractor or like a home service professional. It's like, that doesn't make any sense to someone who is a small business owner that calls themselves a plumber. Um, and so we try to really like tailor to their language and how they like to interact with um, the people that they work with on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's their you know inventory suppliers or their individual customers. And that's really what's important to us. Agreed. Um, for us, though, um, I, I agree. For us, I would say the single small business practices are more like the local businesses, but you also have the DSOs in a space where they have hundreds of locations of dental practices across, and I do see them more like enterprise. So I think for the small business practices, they like to see people like them. Um, you have to find people like them, too. So um, just same as when we work with the home services or medical industries, doctors or HVAC business owners get so many sales calls a week. They're sick of sales guy, the software company. So really you need to find people that look like them, that sound like them to tell a story through their lens. Um, it's funny because we did a couple of case, case studies using these um, small business practices. And after we promote that content, these doctors that we feature in the video, they would typically get phone calls or LinkedIn messages from this completely random other one location doctor They've never met from another state asking, hey, like, is is what you said in that video true about the software you're using? Or did it tie you to a chair and make you say stuff like that? Just, just That just shows how much they trust each other in the community. I think for small businesses, there is that stronger sense of community and not just some random brands out there. I think one of the biggest differences that I see when I'm working with B2B to C versus B2B to B like if you're asking, um, if you're going after, if you're a company, a SaaS platform, and you're targeting, or even like a you know a marketing agency or whatever, and you're targeting other businesses that you know are also B two B, so they're fintech, martech, digital marketing services, whatever, then. Have it featuring them in a case study or writing content about them or even like it's you're you're targeting similar clients or customers but if you're creating content for local businesses like them having a case study for your business doesn't really help them at all because their clients don't care about it um so it there's a different like value i think when you're asking for their time there's also what what i found is like a different sense of like marketing expertise needed like when writing for home businesses local businesses or whatever they're going to care a lot about like legion sites being featured on yelp um the google uh, map placement and it's a totally different set of marketing skills to know how to grow as a local business than it is how to grow as like something that doesn't have an office you know, and that kind of thing. And I feel like when I've worked with you guys on your clients before that I've had to shift my thinking about what marketing means to, to be able to relate to them versus like what it means to me. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, I think with the incentivizing part, you know, these businesses are obviously busy and they're small, like for them to shut down for a day to just collaborate with you means a lot to them. So we've been trying to get a little more creative on that side, you know, not all of them are incentivized by money or prize or anything like that. But as you mentioned, how marketing is really important to them, branding is important, but they don't know how to build that brand. They probably have their office manager help them with a marketing task and things like that. So we try to give back to them in that way, sort of like um, helping them film a photo shoot as when we're there or helping them create a brand video when we're there too. And we found that to be pretty successful just because there is a need for branding for marketing. If you look at a lot of their websites, they have really old assets. So I definitely do see a need there. Yeah, and, and our, our industry is unique, um, and this could totally change with, you know, changes in the economy, but most of our customers come to us not because they have issues with Legion it's, and getting, you know, customers. It's because they have issues with, you know, their operations or their accounting or their, you know, payments and most people in home services today are, you know, it's under, it's under hired. It's, it's, it's still a growing industry. And so people have more business than they can take on at times. Um, and so they, they come to us for that. We found that it's really easy to talk to them, uh, because most of these tradespeople need to be lifted up. There's this perception of, oh, you know, there's, going, not going to college and going into the trades or owning a plumbing company is somehow less, you know, sexy or less desirable than, you know, owning a tech company. Um, but the truth is they own 100% of it in most cases, and they, over the long run, probably make more money than a lot of other entrepreneurs, uh, but people don't see that. And so they love telling their story. They have this chip on their shoulder. They're really easy to get in front of. Um, they're really easy to get a hold of because they are business. They are a local business that has to answer their phones, right? Like, and they have gatekeepers, but, um, and, and we found that through different, uh, in-person events, uh, our, our company, I'm not directly involved in this, but our company has been hosting some like open shops where one local, uh, customer of ours will open up their entire shop to other local, um, trades owners customers or prospects and some people like kind of raise their eyebrow and say like why would i just let my competitors like walk in my front door and like that and we we really believe in that like community aspect and that's a great way that sells through you know our customers is they they let people walk through their doors and show them how they've changed their operations using our software um and and what it can mean for them and you know, right now there's there is plenty to go around in most service areas and most uh, metros uh, in in the U.S. and so that's not really, you know, an issue for them yet. So do you feel like there's a local sense of camaraderie with local home service companies, or I, I think so, and it, and it's unique to home services because. If, a, you know, an electrician's passing jobs onto an HVAC and plumbing shop and vice versa. So it's good to have those relationships because you can pass business and, and, uh, and work with one another. Cecilia, I'm curious, do you see that between like 
dental medical or like different specialties that you work with? Yeah, that's interesting because not long ago, we did a case study with one of the doctors that, that's based in Utah. A couple months later, their competitor sort of just one street down started using us and gave us the feedback that they also want to be featured in a case study because their competitor is doing that. They want to hop on the same technology. They want to be on camera. They want to do whatever the competitor is doing as well. So I definitely do see that. It's a friendly community competition based on their specialty, obviously. Um, I think in some of the less busy city type of practice settings, there's more sense of that community. But when you get to like New York, San Francisco, LA, when the area is pretty saturated with different practices, there is more competition going on. Um, you do feel that that community vibe is a little bit different. How do you handle those situations where, you know, or competitors want case studies or want to be on camera? Like, is that a problem? They, yeah. <laughs> if they're both a customer, we try to find a different angle to, to tell mm -hmm. their story, you know, not really suggesting that they are competitors in any way, but really bringing out, highlighting a different part of their story, probably. I it's more of a problem when you uh, have a have a, a customer success story and uh, then they go to a competitor and you got to take it down every part of the website. <laughs> not saying that's happened before to us, but... <laughs> Wait, say that again? No, I'm saying it, the... The bigger headache is putting up a, a customer success story and then that customer going to a competitor and having to take it down all parts of the, I'm sure that's every digital before. footprint of it. Yeah. A bit of an inside joke that, that happened to Cecilia and I in a previous role. Especially mm -hmm. if they're really active in the community for your current company and they switch to another competitor, their faces could be on your website, your social media, everywhere. Totally. Yeah. So well, let's stick with case studies for a minute. Like... What have you found are some best practices to, you know, to reach out? Cecilia, you talked a bit about providing value and Andrew, but like how, how do you really use these opportunities both to like create customer loyalty and um, like how do you, what just any other like best practices around, around using these case studies in the best way? You want to go first, Andrew? <laughs> Sure. Um, so we have we have a, a journeyed newspaper guy at our company who is probably one of the best narrative style interview people I've ever had the opportunity to witness. Um, and so he is he's just like a master class. Um, once you know, setting up the interview, prepping, getting people comfortable. Um, and then, and then writing up the story, I think part of his magic <clears throat> is not looking for the angle when he goes into it and letting it kind of develop and then really changing his approach and focusing in on the thing that's, he realizes in the back of his head, it's going to win once the customer starts talking about it. And then he goes, goes and runs with it. And then he goes to the, the right promotion and distribution channels based off of where that angle went. So it's like mm. this amazing thing came out of the story. I didn't go in, you know, maybe I didn't go in thinking about X, um, but came out with it. And so we got to use it. Um, and I think that's, that's really one of the, the foremost, like 
great interview strategies that you could have, but you got to have the right people. And he's really good at understanding who's going to be good on camera, who's going to be good um, in a you know narrative style content piece. So he's really good at picking out the the winners um, and is good at you know gently turning people down that you know we reach out to and they say oh sure and then he'll talk to them and say yeah maybe not they're not they're not going to work out it's going to be you know a waste of time maybe um, he's good at letting them down as well so he's good at picking winners and really good at finding that angle but not knowing what that angle is going to be necessarily going into it. I'd love to elaborate on that, Andrew. I we're here we're big fans of. Was it a the tr- shop tour that you guys did, where you guys go in to film the entire, um, the entire store that they have? Yeah. Was the back of it? Was the trucks? How do they? Was their day to day like? I love that series. Is that still going on? Is that also a part of the case study program? Or it, it is. There there were um, <clears throat> cameras at our last six uh, customer success uh, that hasn't been published yet. I don't know if it's a full shop tour, but. Um, that that series started i think pre-covid and so got postponed during covid um, but there are variations of it starting up again nice love that um highly recommend you guys go watch it if you haven't done so i think the production quality is really high um yeah we, we really love that series here let's let's stick with that for a second um cecilia i'll i'll get to you in a minute but but like if you're how do you how do you make that work when you have customers all over? Like, do you find local videographers or do you just choose people local to you? When we first started, obviously we were a small team. There was no video resources and we really had to think of look around looking for cheaper agencies. You know, obviously these kind of case study videos, we're going to do a lot of them. So it doesn't really make sense for us to throw in a lot of budget um, for each video. So initially we work with, a couple agencies. Um, there's pros and cons. I would say the agencies, obviously, they help you put together the call sheet, making sure everybody show up on time. But the editing process can take really long as well, especially if you have a team of people that are pretty specific about what you want the outcome to look like. That editing process could take up to a month. And that's where the roadblock happened for us. So we decided that, hey, you know, we have to take it in-house. This person has to be flexible enough to fly across different cities. Um, so we do try to film in different cities and make it worth a trip by, you know, booking at least two, three practices when we fly over to a place, I would say. And again, these doctors are really busy. And so it's really helpful for us to choose the ones that are happy with a product, really have something to say. I typically go to our customer success team. They're the ones interacting with the customers all day. They know exactly who to recommend you to be on camera. And I find this interesting. This is a little bit of a different approach than Andrew, than what Andrew mentioned earlier. We actually like to go in with the story just because sometimes, you know, office managers or doctors, they might not necessarily be comfortable in front of the camera. I find it easier for give them the questions ahead of time, kind of prepping them through what they're going to say. So on the day of, they they come in feeling good, feeling prepared. They know exactly what to say in front of the camera. But um, since we do have to have them shut down their practice, it's pretty sensitive to show patients' faces when we're filming. So we try to avoid that. 
So really trying to maximize what content we get out of that trip. So besides just a case study, we usually chop all the raw footage up into different segments to maximize other channels. Can we do a short one minute bite for social media and use it for a month? Can we add some different text overlay and make it suitable for TikTok? So those are the things that we think about before we go in for each case study. I love that. And then going back to the fact that then you you give them branding content as well so that you're both getting something out of it. Um, Andrew, what about you when you're filming these um, these local things? Do they do you do it with local companies? Do you travel? How does that work? Yeah, I think our, our team has leveraged connections and that they already have to use people locally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, our our creative team and and our content team collaborate and come together and get the right videography and resources. Um, and we do try to get like our, our story, our storyteller, Mike, we, we, he, he'll travel, um, but he does a lot of stuff locally as well, where you can get in a car if it makes sense, if there's a customer there. Um, so he'll go down to Georgia. He's in North Carolina. So he's been on much of those lately, uh, but he'll get on a plane too. Sweet. So talk about the ROI of that. Cause I, I feel like, you know, we're moving into an era where video content is more necessary. People are looking for it, but it's a lot more costly than, you know, just like doing this type kind of thing via text. So how do you, how do you decide whether, you know, the cost of flying to somebody or having them fly to you and working with local videographer teams and all that stuff, how do you, how do you know when it's worth the cost? Yeah, you, you got to have the whole campaign strategy built out before you, you know, ask for the budget. And so I think that's a big part of it, understanding how and where you're going to use it, uh, whether it's like a, you know, geo-focused uh, campaign, uh, how your paid team, if there's radio, um, how your email team is going to leverage that, and so on. And, you know, the, the ROI on that's like, it, it's it's measurable. Um, I wouldn't say it's a it's you know an exact science um, because there is a lot of you know brand awareness and things that you don't uh, you can't track attribution to that comes in. Um, but you, you really got to set up that whole. Not so much a business case for it, but definitely a well put together campaign um, to really understand all the places you're going to use it. And I think that's that's just best practice for any you know content you create is understanding what's the primary you know promotion or distribution channel for it, and then how are you going to you know get everything you can out of it um, down the road and and keep reusing it. When you talk about campaigns for these, like do you have what what's a sense of timing for like a case study campaign or multiple case studies that fit into one of these regional campaigns or whatever how how far out are you planning and how long does the the campaign run typically for both of you go for it Cecilia yes i would say for us um, we really started to scale at a higher cadence so i would say we do our all the organic promotion, you know, putting on 
putting it out on the necessary channels, the website, the organic social company announcement, company sharing, all that. And then we pass it over to the um, pay team, the email team to run their campaigns, but we provide them with all the necessary assets that they would need. So I would say the lifespan of it is a few months, but we try to launch them as soon as possible. And kind of going back to what you said about the ROI of it, we kind of realized that it's just not possible to fly over every single time, especially when sometimes you get a practice that's really far out there where you can't really find another one to interview afterwards. So we kind of try to pivot towards to a more online approach, like River said, using this tool or on Zoom, getting people on Zoom is actually, we found sometimes might be easier for them as well. They don't have to shut their door. They don't have to close their door, make sure no patients come in. 30 minutes is all we need. And we found the ROI to be around the same, but we spent literally no, almost zero budget to produce that video. Quality definitely is a little bit lower. We try to throw in B-rolls, um, product shots, and things like that. But it kind of gives that authentic vibe. You see an office manager sitting in their office. Things can be a little bit messy. It shows that they're in a really busy surrounding. It kind of shows their day-to-day. I kind of love that as well. Mm. Andrew, what about you? Are you moving to like virtual interviews? or? Uh, we, we I've definitely seen our team test some of that stuff as, you know, but I think we're moving back to you know travel and in person as much as we can, um, and and we're we're planning out we're planning out these things like quarterly, uh, I believe. Um, so there, it, you got to give it a lot of lead time and got to um, you know not everything always works out. You know you go. Uh, we went down to a customer here in San Diego, and we were supposed to send a video team, and uh, we showed up. Me and the this storyteller and uh they were like you know like week four we're redoing our office we really don't want cameras in here so can we like do the cameras another time we're like uh all right (laughs) it's like but that like for us it's just kind of like yeah we want to say we want to be nice and say yes but at the same time that like throws our whole thing for a loop um but it ended up being a great you know great story that we could write um, and then we'll get the cameras in there when we do their office. And, and we showed up and they were right. You know, they weren't just being shy or backing out. Their their office was, you know, just completely renovated and torn up. And we agree. We wouldn't want to show that on camera anyway. So, Right. Okay. So we, we worked together at House Call Pro, a similar, you know, um, similar business practice, similar types of marketing needs. I'm curious now, like two and a half years later, everybody's moved on. What, what's something that like you're, you're just, I don't know how to say this. What have you learned? Like if you could go back, um, what would you tell your former self that about just like what works and what doesn't? I would say that's, for as fast as we moved uh, with our <clears throat> content execution, I would just say like find ways to move faster, um, do do more, and and you know because the the things that we did a lot of things that worked really well, um, and you know we we could have done more. We could have got more budget. We could have we could have even you know made it blow up even more. Um, and so that's probably would have been the, the main thing 
um, I would have told myself is like, be confident, like the things you're doing work and double down and keep going, keep growing. Um, I didn't really understand at the time. I was, you know, kind of like, I hope this works. <laughs> I think this works. It's working. Um, but so probably, probably just have more confidence and, and, and executing on the things that worked and asking for more budget for those. What about you, Cecilia? Yeah, I agreed. Even though we're moving pretty fast, testing a lot of different content types, I feel like, you know, to be really involved in one content before moving on, we, we were kind of under that time pressure. Uh, maybe it was a company buy-in, but sometimes when we would launch a new program and not give it enough time, I would say, well, to optimize, to make it better, to see if it works, the the proper distribution channels as well. So I think going back in time, I something that I could have done a lot better is thinking about that bigger distribution plan and not really leaving it so much on the other teams, um, being more involved on that process. I think that was really important. I So asking for more budget, how do you do that? <laughs> I, I have the luxury at my current role where I have a head of content that does all that dirty work for us. Um, so, but, but in the past, it's, it's really just, and, and even now with some of my content or projects that I, that I experiment with, it's, it's just, you got to show performance and that's really where, if you can, if you can show something that's, um, you know, positive direction or something directionally, uh, you don't have to have a, you know, months and months and months of like some sort of, you know, perfectly attributed, like sign up revenue to cost, but just something directional, you'll, you'll more chances than not get it, get a shot at uh, investing in that channel or budget. And then back to Cecilia's point about the distribution. Sometimes it's, it's, it is better to flip the script. Look at, look at what distribution channels you have access to and then see how you can create content for them right? mm -hmm. instead of creating the content figure out where to put it just, just flip the script that's totally one of the biggest things i've learned is um you know when when i was at fast spring um i was leading content strategy and it it felt like there was often that i was on, under this pressure to create these content strategies on my own just because of time or whatever and what I learned was that they were so much more, um, they, they just turned out a lot better if I sat down with like the demand gen team or the product team and created them with these other people engaged because the content should like, should be driven by how you're able to promote it as opposed to just like, promotion coming at the end, you know, so breaking down those silos. Yeah, agreed. If no, none of the teams want to use the content was the point of creating, um, definitely agreed there. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I'll say it wasn't so much that they didn't want to use it, but it was like, they were just sort of forced to use whatever we would create as opposed to like having a say in it, you know, and when everybody has a say, then it it ends up what you create 
may it turn out very different, but it's, it's optimized then for those, for that delivery, you know? So you talked about Cecilia, like TikTok, um, like, do you feel like, are you trying, are you experimenting with different distribution channels and like curious what's working? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, especially with video content, you know, doctors, just like home service businesses, they're really busy on the go all the time. I've realized that, you know, the doctors, they may not always be on TikTok, but a lot of times when they hire the younger office managers, they're the ones on TikTok, other forms of social media. They even make their doctors do TikTok dances in front of camera. It gets really bizarre, but um, it's fun that those are the channels that their generation is on. So, you know, it's it's nice for us to at least get that branding aspect on those channels just so that whichever channel that our audience is on, we try to make sure that we can be seen there. Another thing is YouTube shorts. I find that really interesting. I still don't fully get the algorithm there, but it does give us a lot more organic engagement or visibility as we're testing out these shorter forms of videos. Um, so I would say that's something that's really easy to try. But just from a communication with small business level, I think Instagram has to be the easiest tool for us to use. You can directly DM somebody, comment and like, whereas, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, there is a little bit more of that uh gatekeeping it's more difficult just because of feature sets and things like that also sometimes a smaller business might not even be on linkedin every day so finding that right channel i think it's really important fascinating andrew anything to add yes i spend a lot of my time monitoring uh, brand mentions and industry talk on like reddit and twitter there's this um big trend in our space over the last like five to seven years of private equity and M&A um, among home services. So you'll see like in like the state of Indiana, there'll be one private equity firm that might own seven to nine different logos. And all of a sudden you realize like, I think the same company owns every plumbing, HVAC and electrical and every like the top five metros. And that's, that's, that's a trend that's been happening. And so there is these like small business um, private equity firms that rule a lot, a lot of these home service companies right now is a lot of baby boomers retiring and selling off their two, three man shops, um, and becoming pretty big businesses. And a lot of them are talking about it on Twitter. Um, and a lot of are not necessarily like our decision makers, but a lot of the end users of our software are on <clears throat> different subreddits. Um, there's ones for like pro, you know, professional HVAC technicians and things like that. And so they're, they're talking about what they like and what they don't like about, um, using our software day to day. Um, so we, we sell into one, two decision makers. Um, but then we have, you know, for that, just that one client might have 200 end users of our software, right? So they might have, you know, dozens of office people and, uh, dispatchers and customer support reps, and then dozens of dispatchers, and they're all using our software every day. And so they're they're online talking about it. And you want to have that those positive brand mentions and see how you can, what you can do to influence them or make connections. Like I'm going to pass this person over on from Twitter. It's just onboarded onto our software. It's been gaining tons of followers. I'm going to pass him over to our referrals manager because if he's you know he's probably he's recommending our software. Let's incentivize him to do so. 
I love that. Um, Andrew, I do wonder with the mentions, what are some tips you think? I'm sure not all of the conversations are positive. You know, sometimes you kind of want to take action and kind of jump into that conversation. What are some of the best way to do so? Or do you typically pass it over to another team for those kind of conversations? Um, we don't have a process for it today. Um, I'd like to help influence one, I think, in my opinion. Um, we should intervene and, you know, private message them and, and get them to the right channel to resolve their issue. But a lot of times with when companies grow or companies bigger, it's, it's harder to break those like protocols or processes, right? It's like you might end up creating more of a headache for uh, inbound support system than you are than helping, right? At the end of the day. And that might create headaches for that person as well because you're not passing them to the right person. And so there isn't a process um, that I've seen work really well, um, but there should be, there, there, there should be a way to kind of synchronize the, 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 the language of the funnel for, okay, I'm going to move this person off of our system from the social media. I'm going to move them into our system in a way that they can get help and, and talk about us in a better way. So there's referral possibilities. There's also affiliate possibilities if they become, you know, leaders in those areas too. Do either of you have affiliate programs that you deal with? Our our referral program is our affiliate program. Okay. Um, yeah. And so it's for customers and non-customers. Um, there's kind of that dual dual login for it. So you can join as a non-customer and promote the software, but we really do typically focus on um, our customers promoting us because they are in almost all cases going to outperform any, any non-customer. Sure. Yeah. We do have a partners program where we partner with, it could be a healthcare marketing agency. There isn't really a conflict of interest and for the, their customers to get a special deal on using our customers. Um, that's been going around, but I'm curious, Andrew, how do you, how can you incentivize um, the customers to, you know, be an advocate and getting more referrals? Is it basically like a referral fee typically that's incentivizing them? Yeah. Our referral manager, Naomi, she's, she's amazing. Um, she came in around a similar time than I did and she really, <clears throat> she's been really growing that program up. And I think a lot of it is just the right incentives. Um, I don't, you know, if you go to Service Titan's YouTube channel, you'll, you'll notice we, we give away like Ford Raptors. We give away tr like sixty, seventy thousand dollar trucks. We're you know giving away all these amazing prizes, and so that kind of becomes like a competitive thing where a select few of our customers really go after it because they want to yes. win the prize. Um, it just becomes a, you know it's not really the monetary aspect to, of it. Um, I think the last winner they they gave the truck to one of their employees or you know did something amazing with it. Wow. Um, so it it really is the the money aspect for, for, for some, just the, the gaming aspect, because some of them are just, they're going to recommend the software regardless. You know, you go to these in-person meetups or these groups that they're a part of, um, which there are many for, for tradespeople, and they're always asking what software should we, we should be using to solve X problem, Y problem. So they're already recommending us. So it's kind of like a, why not get paid to, rec to you recommend us since you're already recommending us in a lot of cases. I feel like so much of this is just building not just customer loyalty, but like, you know, 
becoming true partners, building up that like um, affection for not just your brand, but the people that they're working with and their, their case managers or whatever. And it sounds like Service Titan just there, there's that, there's that level of like respect and admir and, and affection for, for the brand. Does that sound right? Definitely. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the years of hard work from the founders and everyone that's worked there to build up that, mm. that, you know, positive brand. Cecilia, do you feel like that's something you, you, your next health is thinking about? And yeah, our our brand is definitely a lot newer. But you know, one thing that we do like we're obsessed with is solving the pro- customers' problems. So that community aspect, we're kind of still building it, putting these people together, all these brand advocates, customers that are happy with our product, and kind of making them um, the ones who can you know have the mic, talk more about us. Um, but I would say it's a work in progress to build that platform, that environment for people to come together. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so any, any last thoughts about, um, if for, for people listening who are specifically, you know, targeting or promoting SaaS platforms or, or B2B agencies or whatever that are targeting local companies, Um, I don't know. We, we definitely covered a lot. Yeah. Um, Hopefully I mean, it all so recorded. Many... <laughs> <laughs> I'll put myself so many... on the side if not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have so many thoughts about mm. where the industry could go or what we could do, but that's for another podcast because mm. that's a whole nother hour there. Um, but I, I think for, for, you know, I work in the trenches on a lot of the, still on a lot of the SEO stuff. And I think that when you're, when you're, there's a lot of gaps where you, if you could find them, you can really exploit with, with content marketing for search. So I I would say definitely like look for those little like long tail or middle bottom of the funnel terms and, and just exploit those. I mean, that's, that works really well with, you know, uh, to be SaaS for for you know our types of industries uh, we found some really nice wins uh, where we've put out a piece of content had it rank quickly because of low competition and then three months later I've seen you know wins come through mm-hmm. with first touch on um, those content pieces and that's just like a light bulb it's like where can we get more of those and they are like few and far between uh, but when you pick those up and put them all together it, it, it can add up and so I, I'm a big advocate of, of finding those little gems in, in the B2B SaaS space. Love that. Um, and for me, I would say be authentic, know your customers, know your audience, talk to them if you can, um, speak in person. I think that really helps you from a content perspective to not get in your head. You know, are you speaking their jargon? Um, is this content readable for, for them? I think... That's really, really important. Awesome. Well, thanks again, both of you. So good to catch up. Yeah, thanks for having me on, EJ. Great to catch up with you and Cecilia. Reunited. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)